Tales for teen readers and older readers can show us fabulous worlds and fantastic heroes. But these powerful gifts can be twisted for insidious evils. In this episode, we are replaying a live stream from the Realm Sphere featuring me, Lorehaven's E. Stephen Burnett, as well as authors James R. Hannibal and Marion Jacobs, wielding faith over fear to battle these fiends. Seasons, greetings, and welcome again to Fantastical Truth, a podcast from Lorehaven. I'm E. Stephen Burnett, the publisher of Lorehaven, and at Lorehaven, we find and explore the best Christian-made fantasy, science fiction, and beyond, and we apply the meanings of these stories to the real world that our author, Jesus Christ, calls us to serve. Oh, by the way, I gotta say, I'm also the author of a non-fiction book about fiction called The Pop Culture Parent, and I say season's greetings because... As we planned it, this episode is releasing after Thanksgiving. So, Zach and everyone, it is now okay to play, should you choose, (laughs) any Christmas music you wish, except for the Andy Williams favorite, It's the Holiday Season, which is the best Christmas song ever and should always be played. Not, it's the worst, actually. It's the worst song I've ever heard of. Maybe worse (laughs) than the Christmas shoes, but I'm not sure. And I'm Zachary Russell, the famous dragon slayer you've never heard of. And this is episode 89. What are the most dangerous dragons infesting YA fantasy? And this is going to be a special episode with guests, returning guests, James R. Hannibal and Marion Jacobs do a special live stream that we recorded and we're making available for you, our listener. So is this the Harry Potter episode? The very Harry Potter episode we promised oh, in our last right. episode? No, Gotta go it back is in not. time now. Yeah, we're not <laughs> yet accusing the boy who lived of being one of the most dangerous dragons infesting YA fantasy. Not necessarily. We just have to delay that episode because of some scheduling conflicts, which are inevitable this holiday season. Zach, how was your Thanksgiving that you haven't had yet, even though we're releasing this episode after Thanksgiving? <laughs> Can we just guess? Well, you know, I got a great Thanksgiving present, which was is the newest uh, Amazon Prime series, The Wheel of Time. Are you thankful for it then? I am very thankful for it. So Are I've, you? I've already watched the, f- okay. the first two episodes and I'm I'm happy with it. Yes. Even with the gender stuff. The gender neutral male, you know, savior figure, <laughs> notwithstanding my grief and groans about that. I, I'm really impressed with it, Steven. So it's it's cast extremely well. The setting is beautiful. Uh, the way they do the magic, the way they do the monsters. There's so many good elements that they've done. The first couple episodes, I'll have to be honest, it, it's pretty intense. There, there are some definite horror elements in, in a few of the scenes. And so it's, you know, it's, it's not for the youngest kids. This is not a Narnia level fantasy. This is more upper YA adult fantasy. Now it's, uh, it's staying pretty faithful to the canon. They, they are, it tweaked a couple of things and I don't mind them so much, uh, but they are staying pretty true to it. And it's, it's just really cool though, to see this world of books that I've been reading for 30 years, you know, uh, 25 years ago when I started reading it, it, it's just really cool to see it on the screen. I, I can't, I'm just kind of a kid in the candy store right now. I kind of envy your position there. There's only been a few franchises that have been waiting to get turned into a movie, a good movie for that length of time. I guess, I mean, not quite 30 years, obviously, but the only example I can think of right now is the Chronicles of Narnia. And, you know, the first two movies were good to okay. And then the third one was abysmal. So my hopes were dragged down to the bottom of the Narnian Sea with that one, as we talked about in our December episode last year. 
But with Dune, for example, recently talked about on this podcast, like I literally just finished the book, very, very late arrival there, right before seeing the movie. So I didn't have the hype time that others have. And I kind of had to do the same thing with The Lord of the Rings. So I guess, I mean, I'm thankful that I discovered the book just in time and I read the book just in time for both of those. Uh, but I got to say, I'm, I'm, I do wish that I'd caught up with those much, much earlier. And I'm glad you're enjoying the show. I, there's been yes. some mixed uh, perspectives that I've seen, but something mm-hmm. like that is going to be uh, either uh, unfairly maligned or, or overpraised sometimes. So you as a true fan of Wheel of Time, I'm, I'm glad that you get to enjoy that. Well, th- there were just some great moments that, I mean, that just made everything worth it. One was in the first episode, seeing the heron marked sword in that. And if you've read the book, you know... This is an important sword. It's just nothing story. like a heron marked sword. And it, I'll tell oh, you. and man, when that comes out of the uh, when that comes out of the the chest that's under the bed when the trollock is attacking, oh, it's so awesome! I can't wait to see that sword. And then in the episode two, we see the ruby dagger. That's another really important uh, facet of the story. That again, it, it it's important to the whole series. And you know, Stephen both of these weapons and there's also an axe that shows up in a surprising way. And that's what fans are debating, but you know, you see these weapons and it's, it's bringing up a lot of questions. People start thinking, well, wait a minute, should we be using weapons? You know, should there be such a thing as self-defense? I, you know, this is something I really want to explore maybe in an episode, maybe in an article, uh, because Hey, it's a big topic in the news right now. Okay. We're not going to get into that, but you know, just this whole idea of, magic you know ma- magic is a, such a huge part of this you know that's a big topic we've talked about before so this series is is throwing a lot of things on the screen that are very very contemporary i'll just say well maybe at some point i'll be able to catch up with that fandom and then even the show uh even though i, I recently canceled my amazon subscription uh if they win me back if they are able to do the middle earth series right they might <laughs> tempt me back but i'm i'm just a little bit more nervous and negative about that because as we talked about in our last episode i believe we're living in a negative world but i want to stay positive in order to stay positive by the way we need to make great stories christians need to not only be fans of these stories like we do at fantastical truth but we need to make more of these amazing stories Uh, this is exactly the focus of our first sponsor the novel marketing podcast Uh, This is uh, the longest running podcast about novel marketing hosted by our friend Thomas Umstadt Jr. You can go to novelmarketing.com and find a wealth of resources about how authors can not only make these stories, but share them in the most effective ways. We've already been through the series, uh, the uh, 10 commandments of novel marketing. We did the 10th commandment in our last episode. So we're just going to summarize real quick of what this series is about, uh, especially pointing to one of my favorite episodes, uh, very, uh, very much of interest uh, to people like myself uh, who have a website and want to put their content out there. Uh, Thomas just did an episode called How to Create an Author Press Kit with Susan Neal, uh, released in November. I just found this a really great uh, reminder of what news media folks, journalists and interviewers and other podcast hosts are looking for when they're going out to the websites of authors or any other guests that they want to have. And so if anybody out there thinks they want to get on the Fantastical Truth podcast at some point, for example, I would go listen to this episode and apply its wisdom, as I'm going to do. Put that uh, information on your website. Put a third-person biography on there. Uh, include a high-res photo and links to all your books if you've got them, and a press kit and everything. Uh, just some really great uh, practical wisdom here from the Novel Marketing Podcast. Still running, of course. 
still going. And you can find that by going to novelmarketing.com or checking the show notes for this episode or go to lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. Well, Stephen, in the Wheel of Time, the central character of this whole series is called the dragon. And that's a metaphor. It's not a real dragon. And I understand you and Marion and Hannibal talked about some other metaphorical dragons. Yes, we brainstormed the topic for this live stream for the uh, realm sphere and trying to determine uh, kind of uh, actually applying uh, the principles from our last episode about the positive, neutral and negative worlds. We're not looking at why a fantasy and thinking, oh, here's a neutral place to explore. You know, we just need to find the gospel according to why a fantasy name goes here. No, we're, we're looking at it and trying to be discerning, you know, not being reactionary culture warrior types, but being realists. We're looking at these stories and recognizing, you know, there's a lot of dragons in here and not the happy kind, not the kind that can be trained, uh, but the kind that maybe you need to sick them with St. George and some arrows and things. This was a really great, about an hour-length exploration. We're going to reproduce it here in full. But we've got to give a shout-out to our friends from the Realm Sphere who uh, loaned us this audio uh, for this episode. This is from the Realm Makers website. The mission of Realm Makers is to support writers and artists who create science fiction and fantasy in their journeys from idea to marketplace. Whether participating artists wish to gear their content for inspirational or mainstream audiences, Realmakers seeks to encourage them from a faith-friendly perspective. Realmakers also exists to connect science fiction and fantasy fans with amazing content by Christian creatives. We do this through programming on our live stream channel and most importantly through the Realmakers bookstore, which carries books by our award-winning authors to conventions, book festivals, and special events across the country. So anybody can join the Realmsphere, a custom-made social network for free. It's free to join as a member. Uh, authors and publishers, they can opt for paid membership plans that offer more features and opportunities for, here's the phrase again, novel marketing. We did this episode of the live stream back in October, and we're actually doing a sequel, by the way, on December the 9th. And by the time you get this podcast episode, you should be able to go and register. So we'll have that link in the show notes to the sequel featuring James, Marion, and myself. And we think we're calling it Behold the Fantastic Glories Redeeming YA Fantasy. So this episode you're about to hear is the more negative approach. And in that live stream, we are hoping to find what elements in these stories we can be grateful for and which elements can glorify God. So long as we do what we mentioned in our last episode as well, a couple episodes ago, receive these stories uh, with Thanksgiving and prayer. Speaking of Thanksgiving, we do hope that you all had a fantastic Thanksgiving. Let's beware some dragons. Let's go backward in time to that live stream this instant. Hello again, and welcome to the Realmakers Crowdcast. It has been quite a while since I've been here to do this. Uh, I'm uh, Stephen Burnett, the publisher of lorehaven.com. want to thank you all for joining us this evening. Um, yeah, I feel like I'm getting back on the bike, and someone took the training wheels off when I wasn't looking. Uh, for one thing, I'm joined by two guests, and we all totally coordinated uh, wearing red tonight. Uh, 
Yes, it's a Lorehaven branding thing or something, even though it's all <laughs> totally different shades of red. So uh, with me on screen are Marion Jacobs, uh, not only a writer at Lorehaven, but a, a novelist in her own right. Uh, she just put out her steampunk Pinocchio retelling automated, available exclusively to those who sign up to her newsletter. And James R. Hannibal, uh, who's on our next episode of Fantastical Truth and whose novel Wolf Soldier is coming out from Enclave this very Tuesday. Uh, that's the end of a, a fantastic journey. And there it is. There it is, folks. Is that the hardcover or the softcover there, brother? That is the hardcover. Okay. But the hardcover that's... is very soft. It's got this cool texture. It's awesome. Uh, okay. Okay. Fantastic. Well, there, I've already started reading the book uh, because that's just how I roll. I get these things early and it also has some very cool textures inside. So very glad to have you both. Um, I came up with this idea a few weeks ago uh, because all of us kind of separately were talking about some of our uh, just some of our discernment related concerns with YA fantasy and every one of us are authors, but we're also fans. Uh, and one way or another, we have kids. And so we're coming at this from three different angles. In addition to the angles of being um, brothers and sisters in Christ who want to take these thoughts and these fictions captive for him. Uh, real quick, just to get y'all oriented as you're moving in, uh, just make sure everybody watching out there, uh, do, do, do scoot into the, the middle of the seats. Make sure that there's plenty of room for all of the, uh, all of the cues lined up outside. It's a little chilly out there. We can pretend it's just a little chilly out there. So make sure you don't leave the doors open for too long when you come in. Uh, and then we do have a concession stand in the back where you can sample those sweet hot concessions, uh, just like we make from our homebrew at the Fantastical Truth, the podcast. Uh, do follow Realm Makers up there. James, what led what leads to your interest in, in this topic? Of I mean, you know a little something about dragons. You have been a dragon raider. You're going to be a dragon raid right up there. I mean, you've got the rule book for it. Um, what leads to your interest in dragons and their dangers in fantasy well you know i can tell you uh recognizing the danger of dragons recognizing the dragons that are presently in uh ya fiction um does come from and for at least in my case light raiders because this was the discipleship program that helped me uh learn and understand uh, scripture in the context of the fruit of the spirit and how we uh, live out our lives as christians through because of our love for christ but uh, then as an author, um, both writing in, in secular and uh, Christian fiction, these things are very important to me. Because I work on both sides of the house, I've been called upon to uh, critique and work in, in certain groups. I don't want, I'm judging in certain areas and things like that. But uh, the result of that is me reading a lot of uh, current YA literature. Mm -hmm. And the trends that I'm seeing are disturbing. They're just, just flat out disturbing. Um, and so this is a hot topic for me. Marion has Instagram followers who love to hear her thoughts on this hot topic. Uh, Marion, do you want to share your interest in this and, and how you tangled with uh, <laughs> with some folks who have a different view from us on uh, <laughs> in the ravages of the Instagram frontier? Yeah. So, I mean, I love to talk about what I like to call story ethics. Um, mm -hmm. And I will, you know write about that all day long. I started recently making reels about it on Instagram and wow, just, uh, I had, I had a reel just like probably four seconds, something like that, that said, um, writing sensual and sexual content in why young adult novels is like giving teens softcore porn. 
And um, just that insecure, that reel went viral. And some of the, uh, I think it's almost, it's just under 300,000 views now. And um, some, yeah, the, the comments, which I I'd had closed commenting down for a, for a time for my own mental health, but uh, they're, oh, it's open at the moment. So if you want to go read some of it, you're very welcome to, but yeah, a lot of the comments were in the line of, yes, it is like that. Let's do it. Let's give teens porn. You know, so they agreed no with shame. you. Wonderful. No shame. <laughs> they're like, well, what are you saying? Some, I got some private messages. What are you saying? Are you saying that's bad? Like we shouldn't give teens porn. Like I'm so confused about this or you're sending a negative me- message about like sexuality or you're not being sex positive. And I'm just like, well, you know, so I responded to some of them. And at the end of the day, I had to stop. I was like, I can't, this is vile. <laughs> so. Well, increasingly you're ta- you're, I'm very glad you're able to engage with people, but it occurs to me again, how disparate the worlds are in, in which we live. Like this is not just a, a fantasy world in which people are living where there happen to be other creatures or certain people have superpowers. This is a world where up is down and water is dry. Uh, yes. It's like giving teens softcore porn. Let's do it. They're going to learn about it. it somewhere, which when I was reading some of those comments, yeah, uh, I just I kept seeing people who felt like it was just inevitable. It was inevitable that you were going to fall in that kind of stuff. So you may as well get it the safe way. The safe uh, way. And, yeah, yeah. They're yeah. saying, how else are you going to learn about healthy, healthy sexual relations if you're not reading about it in books? And my my again and again, I'm going to say it like talk to an adult. And if it's if you can't talk to your parent, of course, parents is the number one, mm-hmm. you know, choice. And that's not always an option for some kids. A, a mentor, you know, a pastor, somebody that's the obvious answer to that. But you know, these and if you think, if you think that that YA novels, like the representation of these relationships is healthy, like, what are you where are you getting that? What what is what does health mean to you? Yeah. Now there's lots of people amening in the comment section as, as I, w- I would expect. It's a good, good crowd here. This is a, this is an intra-Christian discussion that we're having here. So we're not approaching this primarily as missionaries. We're, this is like the holy huddle. You know, we're getting together as fans and as creators of these kinds of stories. And we're trying to figure out, okay, what's the best way to communicate this uh, in, in, in fiction, the best way to engage with stories that insist on portraying worlds in which up is down, right is left. And as Samuel Kaufman said, yeah, this is so dangerous. And yeah, it, we all agree it's scary, it's dangerous and all that. But we are surrounded by increasingly a world that does not believe uh, that Christianity is just OK. Uh, it's not a world that believes that Christianity is neutral. Uh, increasingly, unless we want to be sentimentalist about it, we are living in a world where people view Christianity as dangerous, actively dangerous. And I don't see any way around that. You can tell yourself a fairy tale that if only we Christians were nicer, or if only we were more creative or didn't make such lousy movies, uh, then everybody would like us again. Um, I don't think that's the case. And that doesn't mean wanna, I want to go out and be mean to my non-Christian neighbors or or, or rowdy in the stuff that I'm making is if I'm an author, but I want to be realistic about the scenarios that we're in. And I want to be realistic about the type of stuff that's in our, our fantasy novels. James, how many YA novels do you think you've read as part of your, uh, your judging? And like, any, do you have a rough, rough estimate? Uh, I would say rough estimate in the last two years, about 200 YA novels. Wow. Uh, um, there were stacks wow. and stacks in my office, just stacks and stacks all over my office. 
Um, okay. And uh, we organized them into, um, you know, sort of current, uh, we, we, because as a, as a family, um, there's some things that I just don't want in my house. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to read them, um, as, as part of my, my work. And so then, um, we kind of organized them into stacks as of like clean and Hey, we, these are books we, we'd want to recommend to, to friends. And then the, uh, here's kind of what's standard YA uh, for the, for the, for the current market. And then books that were so out of bounds, it was insane. Um, and I, I have to say that the out of bounds books was larger than the the what's current, and that leads to the standardization of deviation topic that we can talk to. Um, and then the 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 clean stack was this big. Um, it was it was mm-hmm. really frustrating. But actually, I was really gratified to see uh, uh, a couple of those books from that clean stack really perform well over the last couple of years. And so the argument okay. that this this stuff is necessary to make a, a story sell is utterly ridiculous. Um, I'll also go on, and uh, so I've you know I've been doing in, I've been in the middle grade. This has been a hot topic for me for several years. I think I, I think I might still be banned on some book riot groups. Um, every year they get <laughs> they have the banned book month or banned book week, whatever it is. A pseudo um, event, with, as Al Muller calls it. Yeah, a pseudo event, when, and it's highly promoted. And um, the the entire purpose of it is they they they're promoting books that there was a reason that those books were taken out of. A classroom or taken out of mm-hmm. a library they're not banned they were removed from a certain situation because they were inappropriate for the kids there but the the librarians across this nation especially in in some of our schools use banned books weeks as an excuse to promote and hand kids pornography and that is not an overstatement but when i made that statement i was banned from the discussion group for book riot for being uh, uh racist whatever the you know the, the entire thing racist. Was, like, what, whatever you can whatever you can throw at me yeah, for, label. For, for speaking against the mainstream yeah i think this again uh gives the myth to the idea that i mean occasionally i will find it skittering about my brain the if only statements if only christians were nicer if only we weren't so much into politics if only uh we we were better at making stories then we could have more christian made stories in the world and increasingly i'm on the side of no we actually do need a parallel Christian subculture, just like Christians have found for a long time. Some can get pretty far. Like there's some of the Pixar directors who are uh, believers. There are a few people, writers and directors in mainstream Hollywood and in mainstream author communities who are faithful Christians, I think, but it's getting harder and harder. Um, would either of you all say that that is the, the most dangerous dragon infesting YA fantasy? Because it seems like we all just sort of went for that one at the same time. Marion, do you think that's the, the most dangerous you're, one? You, you're referring to a sexual content? Uh, uh, yes. And, and the, I mean, perversions. Let's just call it, you know, by the Greek that's, word, yeah, Thank yeah. you. Yes, um, uh, I do. Um, yeah, I think something could be relatively clean, you know, as far as like the details of what's going on. But the, the, the plot line could still be leading towards um, something that is a perversion. Um, and what I mean by that is, Something can start out with, uh, I read a, here's an example. I read a, uh, a book series once, didn't get all the way through it, uh, where the first book seemed, the first book seemed like very straightforward YA. Um, and I started the second book 
And there was no hint whatsoever that there was going to be any kind of gay agenda um, in this series, in the first book at all. Second book starts and I just get the tiniest, tiniest whiff of there possibly being um, a romantic interest between two women. Um, and, and then of course, like I flipped the three quarters of the way through a book and find very quickly because I know where it's going to be, um, the, like where they kiss. And, and this is three quarters of the way through the second book in, in a book where there's not like, it's, there's no sex. There's not, there's not like that much detail. It's fairly, you know, tame ish for like YA. And yet you have like, they, they're going to sneak it in and like, you know, the last minute. So yes, perversions, sexual content. It's not always about the details. Sometimes it is. Um, sometimes it's about the plot. Yeah. I think when, when I was a little bit younger, I kind of went through this phase where I thought that it was the clean emphasis. That was the problem. Uh, Christians are just entirely, they, they want to whitewash the world. Uh, they want to sentimentalize everything. Uh, we need to be more realistic. I still have some of that, but now I'm seeing in myself and in us and in many others, like even among non-Christians, many non-Christians are concerned about this proliferation of perversity uh, up to and including public school libraries. It's literally hit the news in some cases where parents are going to their school boards and saying, what is this blankety blank porn doing on your school bookshelves? Uh, and then they get called all kinds of names. Uh, this, I think, is a universal concern. And I, I think it is right that Christians share this. As for what we do about it, that's another issue. Um, but uh, yeah, I, it sounds like we agree that that's the top dragon. I don't see a whole lot of uh, major world religions trying to advocate for more violence or even more swearing in YA fantasy. Uh, but you literally have a major fast growing religion uh, advocating for more sexual content in YA fantasy. Um, Marion, how many, uh, James said hundreds, like you've read some of these titles as well, or, or like me, is it something you just would tend to avoid? Um, I mean, I definitely have read a decent amount of YA. Um, mm -hmm. however, I, I am the type of person who's going to pick up a book, figure out this is not my cup of tea and stop reading it. Um, because I'm not reading it for my job. I'm, I'm just, I'm reading it for my own pleasure, you know, so, and my own edification. Um, so if it's, if it, I, I will avoid certain books. And so like at some point um, I get a taste for it. I get, you know, I get, I understand where it's going and I stop, you know? So, so yeah, I, especially if it's something that language violence, that's not something that's necessarily like tempting to me. Um, but if it's sexual content, I'm not going to read it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, hundreds of books, definitely not. But I, I have read widely enough to know what's there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm going to throw this in there because I think I, I, I don't. I'm going to say my my most dangerous dragon is a slightly different beast. Gotcha. Um, you know, maybe it's another head on the now. dragon. You, we're you we're really talking about Ghidorah here. With proliferation of perversion, um, mm -hmm. you you kind of hit it though because you, this is a this is something in in the military and in the flying community that we deal with um, as a matter of understanding, and that's normalization of deviation, sometimes called standardization of deviation. Mm. Um, and that is where you, you move the line of what you, can, what you can get away with, cutting a corner here, um, you know, skipping a checklist there. And then that becomes normalized as procedure, even though it's not. It's a deviation from procedure. But then 
where do you go from there? Well, now we're going to push the line even farther and push the line. And that's how we wind up with major accidents that kill lots of people is, is the mm. normalization of deviation. And we work really hard in our industry to rein that back in with constant training, coming back to the schoolhouse. But anyway, so that normalization of deviation, well, I, I see that. Like I said, the, the stack of what was currently or what I had perceived as currently allowable in YA um, and then the stack of what was pushing the boundary further out, that stack was larger um, last year. And so that, that, that continues to grow. And that's the mountain of, of a challenge that we face. That's the, the, the giant dragon that is, how do we even beat this thing, is that we're not just having perversion, but it's year-over-year one-upsmanship on yeah. perversion. Um, and the mountain keeps growing. And we haven't engaged and we haven't fought this for years. And now is the monster too big to fight? Yeah, that's that's a big question there at the end. And by fight, like how would you see like fight, like meaning don't let those books in my house come up with their own books? Like, I mean, some of the answers here could be fairly familiar uh, for those who've tried to um, forge a thriving Christian subculture in the arts and in fiction creation. The, the the drastic, you know, pulling out the axe or the sword and hacking away at the dragon is mm-hmm. is not buying these. And the minute you say, well, I'm not going to buy books uh, from this publisher, or I'm not going to buy books that have this content in it, um, then, oh, you're banning books. Let me go back to the banned books week and, and books, then publicity. Books, yeah. um, and, and we end up getting, and, and then the other option is, you know, going and speaking out on, on social media and Marion can tell you exactly what happens when, when you do that. A few years ago, there was a 17-year-old girl who posted on Twitter and said, um, please, you know, you editors at these major publishers, um, please stop sexualizing us um, and putting mm. it in our literature. And the poor girl got shouted at not just by readers or the, the public in general, but I saw industry professionals that I knew from publishers where I had worked jumping on there to tell her why she's wrong. And it was mortifying. Wow. She touched an idol. She 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 tried to do she, what, what Marion did. She tried to pull down an Asherah pole. And they wanted to keep that thing up there so they could bow down to it. I, I don't know how else to describe that when I hear about it. Uh, or is it just trends? Like, is it you touch the sacred trend or is it you touch the sacred sex god? I, I have no idea because, like I said, I don't really think it affects um, saleability. So you would hmm. think that the gods at, at, uh, at the, 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 the VPs and the editor level are saleability and the bottom line. That tends to be their god. Um, but in this, in this situation, you're talking to a reader, um, and say, and saying, you know, we can't restrict this and blah, blah, blah. You know, actually you restrict uh, content all the time. Um, it's just, this is not content that you want to restrict, um, but why it's not affecting the bottom line. You could, you could pull that junk out of some of these books and, and it would not change the sales one cent. Yeah. yeah these, well, a couple thoughts on that is that these people have, you know, they have multiple gods, you know, they have like a whole, right. they have an idol factory. It's a pantheon. Know, so, yeah. Yeah, it, it is. And uh, so you've got uh, one end of the spectrum, you have their god of money, you also have their god of sex, you have their, their god of like pleasing society, greater, the wider culture. Um, this, I mean, why else make R rated movies at all? Why, why, when you know that you'll make more money making it PG or PG 13, when, when families can go and see it, you will make more money. 
So why make it rated R? Because, because they want that, they want it to be realistic. They want it to be, you know, they want to have sex. They want to have all these things. And every time they add one more thing, it limits their audience. Um, so it's at the end of the day, like it's, it's not always about just money. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's like, it's, it's tearing down like all those idols and can we tear down the world's idols? Like, I don't think that we can. Um, but what disturbs me the most is like when we see that, um, what <laughs> remind me of the term that you just said, normalization of devi- deviation. deviation. Is that mm-hmm. Um, what disturbs me the most is when we begin to see that, um, in among Christian fiction or among right. Christians who write for the general market. Um, that, that disturbs me more than anything. Um, because a lot of, because I have definitely experienced in, in writing, um, writing articles, not just for Lorehaven, but like for Desiring God, you know, on like, there's a lot of people, of Christians out there who are saying, no, you're wrong. Like what you can handle, you obviously can't handle reading that stuff, but that's just you. And, and you can't, and you shouldn't, and this is realistic and we need to teach teens how to deal with this stuff. And so we have to put it in books. Um, and, and I'm, and that is highly disturbing to me. No, that argument is silly. It runs counter Mm -hmm. to scripture. Um, and, uh, been hearing that argument a ton and the Mm -hmm. passages quoted behind it are uh, taken completely out of context. So that, that, that does really, that's another, another soapbox item for me. But if we're talking about these things, uh, spilling over into Christian fiction, let's jump on language. Let's, let's deal with, with language, you know, let's, let's go to Ephesians five and say, you know, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. And that comes uh, straight out of discussion of what's appropriate not just in the body setting, but for the body. So why are we throwing that into our literature? Why are we arguing um, uh, in, in, even in this group um, in favor of putting that stuff into Christian fiction? We shouldn't be, as Christian writers, like I said, I write for both markets. We, whether I'm writing for ABA or writing for CBA, um, I should, certainly should not be putting that stuff into the world. We're supposed to be salt. We're supposed to be different. Mm-hmm, let's mm-hmm. do it. And now let's pause for a word from our sponsor. It really is a word from our sponsor, the second sponsor for this episode, the fantasy novelist D.N. Woodward and the novel A Choice of Blades. We have a description as follows for this fantastic story. With no knowledge of his true heritage, a young rancher, Leon Waldman, must forge a bold path for survival when he is tossed into a legendary world of powerful skin changers and deadly creatures of myth. Leon knows the mercenaries have plans that may or may not include him and the others, and the locals prove to be just as dangerous as they look. Come what may, he is determined to stick to a promise made to his grandfather, a promise to find a way home for him and those forced through the portal with him. To do so, he's going to have to push himself in ways he never thought possible. And a simple bone-handled blade may be the key to either making or breaking that effort. But before he can make good on any promises, he must learn to navigate this new mythical land with a rancher's grit, a unique set of powers, and some new friends along the way. That's the description, and here is the endorsement from Amazon best-selling Western sci-fi author James Haddock, who says, This is a good book. Engaging characters, good pace, good suspense. 
Sounds good to me. Want to see the cover? You can at lorehaven.com slash podcast sponsors. And you can also see the links at the top of the show notes for this episode. I was just going to say that I think um, a lot of it comes from um, just wanting to be um, w- what I like to think of as like, it's similar to what, to what you were talking about. The normalization of deviation is, is um, just like either, you know, overcorrection. Um, you have this kind of like the swinging pendulum and you see the problems with being way over here. And so then you think that the solution to that is to do the exact opposite. And there's no stopping to say, let me use my brain for a second. Let me look at scripture and see, like, maybe the maybe the solution isn't to do the exact opposite thing. Maybe the solution is somewhere in the middle. And I have to figure out where that is. And I right. need scripture to guide me. Um, another thing um, I think is, um, and, and that's, I believe, just honestly human nature to do that, to not stop and think, where does that where does the line really exist? Like, where is it? Where my brain was going with what you were saying is, especially with the pendulum swing, mm. um, react to that. And then we, you know, we quote Ephesians and we quote Colossians and we quote Matthew and we say, oh, the, um, then we should just only write roses and rainbows and, 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 and pink bunnies and, and yeah. such. Um, and that's not what that scripture is saying. That's not what they're talking about. We can, we write what is beneficial to the body. We write um, in a way that's beneficial to the body. And sometimes highlighting the darkness um, is important to that. Hi, you know, uh, right. I, I was talking earlier, I don't want to put Stephen on the spot, but I've read some of Stephen's fantastic writing. And um, there's a grittiness to it without being foul. He, you know, he can bring out some darkness. Where I, there's, that's a skill that we have to foster and that we have to work at as artists of bringing out and showing the darkness and shining the light on the darkness without becoming mm-hmm. the darkness. So yes, and 100%. And I think that like a lot of that has to do with the fact that like you're saying, we need to be teaching, we need to be like salt and light. But here's the thing is a lot of Christian writers who, especially if they're writing for the general market, um, they're like, I am not, they will openly say, I am not writing to teach someone something. I am writing for entertainment value only. And I am not trying to communicate truth. And this is an argument I come across all the time. And I think yeah. the, reason, the reason that this has become an like a thing is because they what they're thinking is, well, I'm not I'm not writing Christian fiction. I'm not writing like my my story doesn't have the gospel in it, you know? Um totally understand that. Totally understand that. Not every not every book is Narnia, not every book is is Aslan dying on the stone table. I you know, I get that. Um, at the same time, like this is what literally every author, whether they are secular or not, they are actually com- all communicating what they think is true about the world. And if something is realistic, that means it's real, and that means it's true. And we, every every writer, every writing craft book is ta- talks about um, that your character needs to believe a lie. If they don't believe a lie, they right. have no arc. You have no story. And so what is the opposite of a lie but the truth? This is across the board. This is not a Christian author thing. This is not about does your story include the gospel? This is just stories. Do they communicate something true? And so then to to neglect to ask yourself, am I communicating something true in my book is complete negligence, negligence, not just as a Christian, but as a writer, as a storyteller. Yeah, yeah, I usually true? cover this topic in YA or, or MG um, uh, how-to sessions. 
Um, so that that's my pet peeve, one of my pet peeve statements. Clearly, I have a lot after this discussion. <laughs> I have to go deal with some things. Um, <laughs> but the uh, so one of my pet peeves is, is that very statement. I'm only writing to entertain. You know, why can't yeah. we just write? To entertain? Yeah, the the just the entertainment canard. Message, and when your readers read those, re your readers will take in a message, whether you're intentionally writing that message or not, um, in in the hermeneutics of of your writing and in, in the communication effort of your writing. So either you be intentional about it, um, or they're going to pick up whatever message it is. And if you're writing with without um, intent, especially when you're writing for younger minds, uh, it's the same as throwing a wrench at uh, a clock and hoping that it will fix it. Mm -hmm. All right, so let me grab some cardboard boxes real quick in the back, and we'll throw out some concessions, uh, some sweet, <laughs> piping hot concessions like we have at the Fantastical Truth podcast for Lorehaven. Um, Realm Makers certainly has many different types of members with many different uh, approaches to this. Uh, and I think, though, it, and, you know, with respect to everybody, I, I think it is appropriate to challenge maybe not the, not the dragon heads necessarily here, but maybe the egg. Uh, maybe the egg from which hatches uh, the monster Ghidorah shooting lightning after he fell to Earth from space. Uh, the egg of some of these ideas is the idea that stories are just entertainment. And I think I see why people may want to hatch that kind of egg, because we may, especially if you're from a Christian or conservative or homeschooling background or all three. Hello. Uh, you may have grown up with the idea, not your parents fault, not your pastor's fault necessary, but just floating in the air. It's a meme. And so you catch it like a virus. Uh, the idea is that uh, if a story is uh, a teaching story, if you learn something from that story, then it's going to be a bad story or it's going to be a boring story. You want a just entertainment story uh, or else they're going to try to put you back in Sunday school. Um, I disagree with that. And not just because we have so many awesome books, several of them sold at the Real Makers bookstore and available from many of our great publishers and authors in the Real Makers community. Uh, these stories alone prove that you can have a story that is designed for the purpose of not preaching a sermon, not giving an altar call from a pulpit necessarily. But discipleship, Jesus, when he was ascending after his resurrection, did not go up and say, go into the world and preach, although we do preach. He said, go into the world and make disciples, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. I think that that teaching call is not just for special set apart uh, priests, although pastors, priests, whatever, do do that. Uh, that call does apply to the novelist. And so, Marion, like you said, like every book is teaching one way or another. They are it's more directly teaching the main character to reject a lie and believe the truth and develop. But by virtue of us going along with this character on the journey, we are also learning. Uh, so I, I do think that it is appropriate to gently challenge that uh, fiction is just entertainment line. Fiction is for the purpose of a more biblical concept which is not entertainment. And you could do a word study on that and parse out the syllables there, but recreation. Recreation, Sabbath rest, so that you can go on working, that is a biblical concept. Uh, and God rested at the end of his creation. The creative work requires rest. So you get going out there Monday through Saturday, you create stuff, uh, and then Sunday, unless you're a Seventh-day Adventist, that's your, that's your day of rest. And the pattern recurs throughout the week, and it recurs when we're enjoying stories. And for those of us who are making stories, we're kind of working and resting at the same time. Uh, so 
that's the notion behind some of these dragons is the idea that uh, stories are just entertainment. And then you've partitioned that out from the gospel, from biblical faith. And there's another rather harsh word for that. If you take it to its logical conclusion, and that word is hypocrisy. Uh, hypocrisy is not a good thing. And we've all been hurt by hypocritical Christians who don't practice what they preach, uh, either in their recreation choices or in their work choices. Yeah. So Denise Peters just brought in a great point uh, along the line of every story teaches uh, in the comment section. So you yes. see that every story teaches just as every author is a leader, um, whether you want to be or not. Um, and that goes right back to that. I mean, as Christians, we ought to know this um, because it's right there in Scripture in James 3. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Right. So. We, are, we as teachers must hold ourselves to a higher standard. We're called to, um, as when we set ourselves up, whether traditionally or self-published, however, as Christian authors, we are setting ourselves up as leaders. And uh, the scripture is very clear on, on how we should com- comport ourselves um, in, in that position. Um, and so we had better be careful in the messages that we, we convey, both through our stories and through our actions. Amen. Hey, Cole, in the comment section, I'm glad you found the place. Uh, we had to put together the uh, the Crowdcast link uh, at the last minute and then post it as a comment to the Realmsphere link. So I'm glad you found us. And yes, for anybody who got in here after we started, once we finish, you will be able to get the whole replay. Uh, you can try to chat uh, in the chat at that time, but of course, it's a replay. We won't be able to respond. That's the only drawback. Otherwise, you'll be able to catch the whole thing uh, from minute zero. Um, I think my last concession there was big concession. It was actually kind of a, a, you know, a fried blooming onion with that awesome sauce in the middle of it, you know, where they pulled the onion core out. Love that stuff. Uh, I have a smaller concession, especially James, where you were talking about the language issue, just acknowledging that, yes, several creators in the Realmakers community will have different approaches to that. But from more of the production creative side of things, uh, one risk that I think people take, in addition to possibly violating the biblical warning against lewd talk and coarse joking and vulgarity, and especially blasphemy, misuse of God's name or title, I think a big risk that we have is that we assume as creators that if we've put in the bad words, uh, even if we feel the story really, really needs it, um, and James, I know you were talking about this some this morning, I think that it can function as uh, cheating. Uh, you may be putting in the bad words to simulate uh, a dark reality, but the story itself may not necessarily be that deep. Uh, It's not just people in the midst of suffering and trauma who use these kinds of words. Uh, It's people who are having a great time with the boys uh, at the, at the tavern and they're putting back a few cold ones. And then they're just frankly dropping the F bomb every single sentence. And after a while, they, it's lost all of its impact whatsoever. Uh, and for me, I've read some books where my eyes will just glaze right over right over that word on the page. And so even from a creative perspective, why would you put a word into the book that your eyes glance over? Like why treat a, a, a top tier vulgarity like that as if it's the direct article V uh, or the attribution said, like, shouldn't you be more efficient with your words? Uh, isn't that the point of a story to be uh, efficient and to use as few words as possible to say the most amount of things 
that's in addition to the biblical argument. Uh, any thoughts on that, Marion? The la- the language issue specifically uh, is a as m- maybe a slightly less horned head on the dragon uh, that we're talking about, but but still a, a possible threat in YA fantasy. I haven't read too many books where language comes up a whole lot. I feel like uh, I feel like I need to defer to James on this one, but I do I do know that like maybe um, a lot of publishers still kind of edit content as far as language language content goes but are less likely to edit the content of of sexual yeah sexual content so i'll i defer to james <laughs> yeah well as far as in in encroaching in into in christian literature um i'm i'm really not not sure on that one on the on the secular side of the house in aba fiction there's much less editing in ya um, than there used to be i love mark twain's quotes that can be taken in reverse on this topic um, to go back to what Stephen was saying, um, the uh, so Mark Twain has this quote about uh, t- getting rid of the word "very." So go through your text and, re- and you replace it. You replace "very" with an expletive, and then your editor will edit it out. And your manuscript. <laughs> I remember that one. For it. Yeah. You go back through. So in today's world, they're not editing those out. But if you go back through uh, with your ABA editor, if you go back through and you replace all your um, uh, expletives with "very." Your editor will edit those out and your manuscript will be better for it. Um, I was uh, going on stage in um, Los Angeles for the book festival uh, and we were in, you know, we had the little green room here. We have the, we had the physical green room there and there were few authors in the room and there was a a crossover author that did both uh, MG and YA. Um, And uh, she said, oh, it's, you know, I'm doing an MG panel. So we need to we need to loosen you MG people up. And so let's let's bring up uh, let's bring some foul language into the uh, onstage discussion. And Shannon Hale, who writes the Squirrel Girl series, uh, uh, which I can't remember. It's it's a Marvel based series. It's a Marvel. Yeah, it's a Marvel series. She turns around to her and I mean, dead, no levity at all. She says, you do it and I'll punch you right in the nose. (laughs) So, You know, that kind of passion for protecting MG. And that was on the ABA side of the house, which I really, really appreciated. Okay, that's kind of cool, and, and maybe this is the part where we talk about violence. But would that have been <laughs> a, a good segue, right? Would that have, would that have been redemptive violence? Do you think right if she punch, punched her right in the nose? I, I I could I could I think argue for that possibly being redemptive violence. Um, Marion, the moderator, yeah. you know, placed this on the on the stage and put me between the two of them, so it was okay. Yeah, would that yeah. have been redemptive violence? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, like I love that because I, and I love the way you you told it too because I think that the uh, the key word there is protect. Yes, and, yes, um, and that's that's how even I feel like even more than a teacher, I view myself as a writer as as a protector, um, and 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 a guide, you know, and and to like be able to 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 know and to look at a child or a teenager that I'm writing for and to be able to look in their eyes and say like, I am doing what is best for you because I love you. And I don't feel like a lot of authors, like that all authors can say that because most of them are sitting behind their computers, like with maniacal laughter going, Oh, this is going to kill them. You know, and I'm going to destroy the reader. I'm going to wreck the reader. We had a podcast about it. Yeah, we have. I know I have a whole thing spiel about this, but, um, but it it, it applies, you know, it applies to this. you know, am I, why, why are you putting that in your book? Why are you putting the language in it? Why do you want these middle schoolers exposed 
to that content? Why? And I think that is a, a question that's so often missing in, in all of these conversations. Yeah, yeah well, I'm sure there's something because... about it in the screw tape letters uh, that, that reveals that. But why are they doing this? They may not know themselves, but we know that right. the evil one is doing this. It, it wants them to do this because that perversion, that that normalization of deviation will continue and that they're pushing it downward into uh, middle grade. But it also pushes outward from literature. So literature is where it always starts, where all these things start. And then it pushes outward into uh, what we see on the screen, what we see on the on the big screen now, what we see yeah, in streaming. The stream, and streaming, at this point, yeah. it's gotten to the point where the, everything they produce is MA. It's unwatchable. Uh, yeah. And it's and it's it's frustrating, but it's it's taking our whole culture um, in that direction. Yeah. So we all agree on that. Um, maybe we spend some time figuring out, okay, what are we going to do about it? But first, real quick, uh, James, so while you have the floor, uh, Meg McDonald asks a question I think is directed to you. Were the Out of Bounds books more indie or trad, as in traditionally published? Oh, trad. And and I don't want to throw out publisher names. Um, uh, that's I, wise. What's that? Uh, that that's probably wise. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, but they, there were a couple of particular very, very mainstream publishers um mm. that uh, uh are just it's clear that this is the goal uh and and they're and they're heading in that direction but even you know sort of like as the general average um uh you know they, i mean they're they're not just pushing sexual perversion they're pushing perversion of um understanding of of who we are as a culture of, of different people in, in other parts of the country. Um, almost it was trendy last year. So almost every story had um, a Southern white guy um, who was absolutely horrible um, because that was, that was how it was supposed to be. You know, the, the, the Southern white guy enters the conversation and, and he's absolutely horrible. Um, if you read the, the stack of books that I read from ABAYA last year, you will, uh, you must conclude were we to take these books and pile them into a few duffel bags and, and send them off into the universe. And they were to land on an alien planet. The aliens would read these books, uh, and decide that every <laughs> teenage American girl is uh, has has two gay, gay friends and one transgender friend who and the transgender mm. friend is the wisest among the group. Uh, they have a magical an, um, creature, yeah. an antagonist who um, is white and southern and almost certainly male. Uh, and they have, uh, if not uh, conservative or Christian. Uh, and uh, oh, and, and then that that young woman is absolutely obsessed with sex. Um, so that is what the aliens would have mm. to conclude about uh, about the teenage girl in America uh, at this day and age. I'm kind of wistful now for the probe. Um, I forget which one it when maybe it was uh, Voyager. Maybe it was Voyager one, whichever one that had the plaque in it that showed uh, the Carl Sagan designed with the with the two uh, iconic uh, naked human figures and then the Leonardo da Vinci thing. And yeah, I think that'd be a better impression for the aliens. So uh, real quick, it, so it sounds like you were saying these are more traditionally published books. Oh, well, the, in this particular, in this situation, the out of um, almost, almost exclusively what I was reading, uh, uh, well, in, in two, two different situations, but same conclusion is uh, they are, are all traditionally published from major publishers. Gotcha. Okay. Well, there's the answer there. Hope that helps you out there, Meg. Uh, while I got the answering thing up here, yeah, uh, this one a little bit more of, of a slight rabbit trail, but uh, Ashley asks, what age does the protagonist need to be to keep a fantasy novel out of the YA category? Now, that's interesting because 
in the back of my head, I just had 18 or high. Yeah. Well, I, I think it means high. Like in other words, this is a book for adults. Like this, if, if it's a college age heroine, for example, if she's 20 years old, is this no longer a YA book? I mean, we're kind of in a, 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 a hazy world right now of where young adult becomes new adult. Yeah, well, new oh, adult, yeah, new, adult kind of... new adult died, so it's still young yeah. adult. So you get yeah. okay. age like okay. 23, 24, you're still you're still young adult. New adult's yeah. dead. It is not surely mm -hmm. alive. Okay, so Marion? Yeah, just I was going to say the same thing. New adult did not take off. Uh, it was a little bit of a, yeah, a bomb. But um, I think... Uh, Old adult are, still going strong. <laughs> there are some. And, you know, if you, if you started your series writing about somebody who was, like, in their early 20s, you could probably publish that as, as adult fiction. Um, on the other hand, if you, there are a lot of YA authors who their, their protagonist might start off as 18. And then as the series continues, they're in their twenties and it's still YA, I believe. Um, so, and they're doing something, they're, they're, they're more in more mature situations, um, as they get older and older. And it's the same series, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that was the Harry Potter series. It started out upper middle grade yeah. and then ended up YA, but it was Harry Potter. He could do whatever he wanted. I mean, yeah, and and that honestly, that's a sticking point for me because I on I do have a hard time with with um, Harry Potter as far as just like when to let your kids start reading it. Not if yeah, they can, or, or if yeah, okay. I mean, some people if not me personally, sure. But um, mm -hmm. uh, but I would I have a lot. I know a lot of people who let their their nine year olds start reading Harry Potter, and then I'm like, well, you're gonna let mm. them read the whole thing. You know, what are you if, gonna do? If they're fast readers, I mean, yeah, they could be ready for book seven, or they think they're ready for book seven in a yeah. year. And no, they are not ready no, for book not. seven. No, Even if, assuming they were ready for book one, which Christians can disagree. Yeah, that's that that is difficult. So even we're a little afield. Even your 12-year-old, are you really ready for book seven? Really? Yeah. I don't know. I was 20 something when book seven came out, and I don't, <laughs> I don't know if I was ready, but anyway, LG McCary just says, I babysat a five year old who read Harry Potter. Um, I'm gonna just come out as a full legalist there and say that I don't think a five year old should read Harry Potter. I'm impressed, I am absolutely gobsmacked by a five year old reading Harry Potter, but please don't. Uh, you're, you're not old enough to be driving that particular vehicle. So, um, did we, did we have gonna, the answer? I'm what hold my own grenade and jump on it? So, I okay, well, well, let's. Topic. Yeah, so, let's let's you know. do so. Let's wrap the answer though. What age does the protagonist need to be? Um, unknown. It depends. I know. Well, it's not about 18? the age necessarily of the protagonist. And one, we shouldn't we shouldn't have to worry too much about that because uh, our writing it, it may not be something that we're trying to appeal to young adult, but our writing should still be appropriate for young adult um, mm -hmm. because of who we are as Christian writers. So I wrote uh, an, an adult military thriller series for Penguin. Um, and I have, it, it's still out there and I have a lot of teen readers and I'm absolutely comfortable with that. It's not, um, designed for them. It wasn't designed to appeal to them, but there's so few books for boys out there that, uh, uh, they, you know, they're reaching into, and, and honestly, I'd rather them reach into, uh, into a series like that, uh, than reaching into the current, um, Clancy series, uh, just because of the, the increase in the level of language and sex in that series. So, um, yeah, we, yeah, it's not about necessarily the age. It's about, um, the, what the story covers is it a coming of age. Um, what are the conflicts in the story? Is it, is it young versus, uh, uh old? Um, and so it, those are the, those are kind of the things that define for us, at least when we're not, when we're throwing out the language and the sex, 
um, which has become the, the current blanket and sort of two-dimensional way to define YA literature and, and the, different, well, the difference between YA and MG um, uh, in the secular side of the house. But when, what we're defining as YA um, is all about uh, the, the emotional uh, journey of the character um, and some of the conflicts within the story. So you could be writing uh, what, what we would have thought of as new adults in the younger 20s, um, but still write that as an adult story because you're, you're, you're attacking different topics and different conflicts. Right. Uh, so to sum up, I, it sounds like it's more about theme and actually uh, Cole uh, made an answer uh, similar to that. It's more about uh, the themes that the target audience engages, not so much the age of the character, although having the age of the character, you know, high school age is, is certainly going to place it more firmly in that category. So, yeah, you know, when you're writing specifically MV and YA, then your age is going to have to be within a certain range. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Um, let's go to the poll real quick. Um, okay. So, um, okay. Yeah. The poll question at the bottom was which YA fantasy dragon seems the worst operative word there being seems we're talking about perception, but it sounds like we're all on the same page here. Overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly sexual content gets the most votes and you can see specific examples in the chat. Several parents, I keep meaning to read their comments. were saying like, yes, I, I have seen what they're giving my kids to read and I am most, most displeased. Uh, and I just want to say just by way of encouragement, um, thank you. Uh, thank you for putting appropriate safeguards or pursuing appropriate safeguards. Like I, I got to help co-write a book called the pop culture parent, which encouraged parents to engage with what their kids are reading. And some of that is uh, kind of trying to clean out some older, more fearful Christian approaches to popular culture, but there is still room and we are absolutely called to protect kids from stuff they're not ready to engage or may never be, nor should they be ready to engage. So I just appreciate seeing that. I'm encouraged to see that. Uh, and clearly this is not just a bunch of you know people trying to put up barbed wire and keep their kids in bubbles. No, this is appropriate for their mental health and for their spiritual health. And some of us, frankly, need that kind of protection for ourselves, too. Like, Marion, you've written in your articles and talked on the yeah. podcast about mental health. And that's mm -hmm. that is important. And even some yeah. you know, non-Christians understand the need for that. But it seems that the only kind of attack on your mental health that's allowed uh, is uh, is the sexual ideas that are going on. Well, yeah. And I think um, what you touched on about. Um, just the idea of um, like, can, can these kids deal with these things? Can they, you know, is it good for them to be introduced to these things? Are they able to, um, to digest them as an age appropriate and, or is it really appropriate at any age, you know, and some of these things are not. And, um, but like one thing that I, um, I've touched on before, I've mentioned before is just <clears throat> actually a Stephen King quote. And I love, I love, love, love that this it comes from Stephen King and this, because it's, it's, it's really something that, you know, we should be able to say this is this should be common grace knowledge here. Um, but he says a lot of the in in talking about Twilight, he says a lot of the physical side of it is conveyed in things like the vampire will touch her forearm or run a hand over her skin and she just flushes all hot and cold. And for girls, that's a shorthand for all the feelings they're not ready to deal with yet. And I think um, the scripture like to back that up would be um, Song of Songs eight verse yeah. four which is yes. young women specifically says young women of jerusalem mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i charge you do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time or until it pleases depending on your translation um and so 
yeah, like it is, it is so important to, to realize like that, that these things that we are introducing kids to, it's not for their good. It's not for their good. And that's something I really want to like press into like the Christian community of writers. It, like you're trying to teach them, you're trying, you're overcorrecting the problem of purity culture and into we need to teach them. We need, we need them to be exposed to it. And what is ex- it's exposing them into, into being tempted by things they may not have been tempted by otherwise. Um, and maybe, you know, it's, it's, it's opening that it's opening that door. It's flipping a switch in them that maybe in their, in, in their life, maybe they had not been exposed to before. And it's, and, and because in, and you can say, you can make the argument all, all day long that, well, it's in the song of songs. So I can write about it, but it is not written about the same way. And it's like the way that we write, we, we are constantly like modern writers. We're constantly using things to show, not tell. And the way that we show is by using internal and external bodily functions and describing the way someone feels inside. And when you have that dynamic and like attraction and, and makeout scenes and all of these things, like that is a recipe for disaster for a teenage girl and mm-hmm. boys too, but honestly, primarily teenage girls. Well, primarily teenage girls, because in general, this is a generalization. It's a big concession here. Uh, young men, young women, or just men and women will react differently to different kinds of art. And to some extent, more descriptions that more fully engage the reader's imagination of that kind of thing seemingly are going to affect teenage girls more, uh, at least as far as I can tell. Um, real quick, Marion Samuel Coffin wants to know what that Song of Solomon reference was that you just quoted Oh, it's um, Song of so- Solomon 8.4, I believe. Okay, but read the whole book. It's interesting. Uh, and there's lots of other good stuff in there. Fascinating, fascinating stuff. Um, let's see. Samuel, uh, Samuel, also, just real quick, I, I'm actually going to take this one because we, I'm trying to wrap up in about 10 minutes to respect everyone's time. Uh, the same uh, uh, viewer, Samuel, asks, uh, kind of a big one here. You could have a whole live stream about this one. What's the difference between Christian publishing and non-Christian publishing? Ooh, and what would you suggest we do to keep readers engaged with our writing? Uh, I, I think, I mean, that next one is just so broad i can't see covering that uh, even in five or ten minutes it's kind of its own devoted live stream the first one though i might take a crack at in general what i've seen in the past at least is that christian publishing is uh, a company that is run more or less in uh, according to uh, biblical christianity or judeo-christian heritage and many people would of course have nuanced understandings of what you mean by christian but at least in the united states uh, that's referred to the tenets of evangelical Christianity, um, a respect for God's sufficient word uh, as uh, as inerrant and God's soul uh, sufficient revelation for us, uh, and the centrality of the gospel as applied to us repenting and believing and receiving Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior exclusively. Very important tenet there, not just an example, uh, not just a moral teacher, but a Savior and Lord, uh, which means you plug into a local church and you get going teaching other people discipling until Jesus comes back. Uh, A publisher that respects those ideas from scripture, from church history, uh, that would more or less count as a Christian publisher. Uh, Non-Christian publishing, 
not so much. Uh, they have many different religious traditions informing them, uh, including the nation's fastest growing religion, uh, secularism, which is kind of first cousin to the other fast growing religion, uh, sexualityism. So increasingly, it would seem that the lines are drawn uh, between the two. Um, if you can, as a Christian creator, uh, make it in that world, the general market publishing, I say, go for it, go for it. And please let us know how we can pray for you if you're out there, because I am all empathy for someone with that level of difficulty in their calling. Although, as we've seen, it's certainly uh, no cakewalk either, uh, trying to work with a, a traditional Christian publisher. Some of them, by the way, have been bought by non-Christian publishers and are effectively the inspirational imprint. And so you're seeing more, uh, more of those companies blend together. And so surely that means there are going to be more issues than uh, when the Christian imprint of a secular publishing house is being asked to moderate on certain issues. Or maybe you don't need to publish a book about that because we might get canceled. So do we have time for your grenade, uh, James? Because so I was very interested. The grenade has been rolling around on the floor uh, this whole was time it? about to yeah. explode at any moment. I don't think we really have time. Uh, so they'll have to maybe save that for another. Okay, so um, you're going to jump on it like Captain America. Yeah. So, yeah, boom. Um, but the, uh, you know, and, and that's talking about magic and how we treat that here as Christian writers and as somebody mm, who is mm -hmm. the steward of a magical realm that was canceled in the 1980s. By uh, trust a, me, I understand. Man. Yep. Yeah. I understand both sides of, sure. of the issue, but how we write our fantastical stories. Um, there's a dragon there. Then that dragon is run amok in, in, in secular YA literature. But uh, how we we need to understand scripture and how we're conveying our message um, uh, with our story in, in surrounding those topics as well, in, in not just you know the, the foul language and the sex and the violence. Yeah, um, I'm kind of seeing the need for a sequel here, and we'll talk Me after too, the show you. if I have you want. So much okay. To say about that. <laughs> yeah, well, particularly because um, without talking about solutions, uh, this could end up. You know, if we stopped it right here we could just end up sounding like hey, kids get off my lawn with your sex and violence and language and i would rather have that than a come on in you know track mud into the house whatever you know i'd rather have that but of course in christ we can think not just observing uh the the filthiness of the world around us but christ has come into the world to bring not fear but faith uh, there's a, we're not reacting to the world in fear, but with power and love and self-control and for the novelist and for the fan with creativity. Uh, once we start to understand that that egg there of stories are just entertainment, so it doesn't really matter. Um, that's a bad egg. Please don't let it hatch. And if it's going to hatch anyway, please don't sit on it and keep it warm. Uh, it doesn't need our help. <laughs> I think the metaphor is about complete there. Um, final words i don't i don't see any questions left uh, a sequel on magic okay well that's a favorite topic of mine and if there's a grenade rolling around uh, let's just jump on all of them um you can however you can go must encourage uh, not just a not just a plug but you can go to lorehaven.com uh and search for those topics we got a search box right up at the top right corner if you've not been there type in magic 
type in witchcraft, you know, look for any of those words, look for Marion's articles uh, about stories that harm us versus stories that help us heal. Uh, and especially browse the fantastical truth podcast archives. And so we just had Marion on there a couple of weeks ago. Uh, James's episode is arriving this Tuesday to celebrate Wolf Soldier, uh, which comes out set in the world of light raiders from Enclave Publishing. Uh, he and I get into some of this stuff, particularly when it talks about uh, representation. And I don't mean that kind of representation, Representation. I mean, characters or heroes who represent Jesus Christ or represent Christians or heroes or biblical realities. Some people throw all that out. They say, well, that's allegory. That's boring. An allegory is boring if, to give away what James rightly said, if the allegory is just this one-to-one correspondence. Uh, but a story in which something represents more than one thing, or for example, you have a hero who represents Christ, uh, that can be very interesting and uh, an amazingly effective means of discipleship. Uh, there's a lot of that in Wolf Soldier. There's a lot of that in the great books that we have among our Realmakers community. And I saw a moment ago, yes, which website is that? That website, once again, is lorehaven.com. HTTP, blah, blah, lorehaven.com. Oh, and subscribe. Uh, make sure you subscribe as well. It's a free subscription. You can sign up to get the articles we post every week. Uh, podcast episodes release every Tuesday and new reviews release every Friday. Um, while we're stumping y'all, uh, Marion, wh- where is your website? How can people follow you? Will you post the link to your reel in the uh, chat notes there? And how can sure. people follow you? Yeah, my website is majacobs.com. Um, and you can follow me mostly on Instagram is where I'm at. I'm, I'm uh, majacobswrites. And yeah, I will post the link to my reel. Awesome. Please do. Yeah, I'd love to see that to add a few more hundred thousand views to that thing. Uh, James, uh, it's uh, lightraiders.com. I remember from this morning and any other updates uh, for the game Light Raiders or any other uh, shout outs you'd like to give as, as we close? No. So yeah, you go to lightraiders.com and like, this is a game site, but there's a whole lot there um, because it's games and stories. But also we are having the book launch for Wolf Soldier on 28 October, sort of an all day event on Facebook at the Light Raider Academy page. And then a a one hour live uh, that evening on Instagram. So join us for either one, but just find either the James Handel page or the Light Raiders page uh, and you can you can learn more about it. It's fantastic. And Wolf Soldier is book one of the Light Raider Academy series, uh, which will continue with two more volumes that you're working on now as soon as you can get out and go walking again. Yes. Awesome. Well, my wife just bought a wheelchair. So the uh, the uh, book walk will now be my wife listening to her headphones, probably listening to the Lorehaven podcast while she pushes me in a oh, wheelchair awesome. around the neighborhood. That's so she oh, she's yeah. going to do my think walking for me. I'll do the thinking. She'll do the walk. That is such fantastic taste there. Fantastical Truth is the podcast, by the way, available on all streaming platforms. We will dismiss the audience uh, with our wishes for Godspeed. Further up and further in. Well, Stephen, I like what you said there at the end about we have to watch out for imposter joy. People calling what is bad good. So we got this great note from Brielle on Twitter who wrote to us about episode 88, which is our previous one about can we positively engage culture in a negative world with Bethel McGrew. And uh, Brielle just has a very heartfelt message here. And she says, quote, this was very much the kind of discussion I've been wanting to listen to. There's a weird tension when interacting with the negative world because there are also so many complex individuals with varied problems with Christianity. There's not so much a complete antipathy towards Christians among people I interact with, 
as there's a hurt at the fact that the church says what they're doing is wrong. There's a fear of being hurt by others' opinions. It's very hard to know what to say because I don't want to upset people, not too much. It's hard to talk when people will shut me out the moment I say what I truly think about some issues. Maybe that's where stories come in. You talked about apologetics on the show. That's one thing I'm very grounded in. I don't know what to do with it in a hostile world, except maybe appeal to the fact that I believe partly because I've been so utterly convinced that to walk away would be a lie. I don't think I'm delusional in what I believe. I didn't pick it to be mean. I'm just completely convinced that God is real and good, and I can't just ignore what he says, end quote. Briel, I thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. I, I resonate so much with what you said. Uh, so let me, let me go through a couple of responses, and I want to hear what you think, Stephen, or we can go back and forth. I resonate very much with this fact that I don't want to hurt anyone. Uh, it seems that they, their feelings get hurt when I say that, hey, what you're doing is wrong. And yeah, I, I think there are a lot of issues today that seem to be untouchable. You have to, I think, first of all, decide in your own mind that, yes, absolutely, we need to speak truth with grace. We need to speak truth in love. But I think what we have to do is say truth and love are not opposed to each other. That when I speak the truth about something, I am doing the most loving thing. Because if I affirm a lie that someone believes, I'm not being loving. I'm, and I'm really what I'm doing is I'm just loving myself. And, and you know, Brielle, I, I appreciate the honesty that you don't want to upset anyone because then they're going to turn around and hurt you and reject you. I was listening to this really great podcast, Stephen. It's um, uh, the Just Thinking podcast with Daryl Harrison and uh, Virgil Omaha. And they were talking about this issue about this is episode 113 of their podcast. Go check it out. Uh, Virgil was saying how he can go out and do street preaching and not worry about the fear of man. He's, he's happy to be out there and just preach the gospel, whether people accept or not. But then there's this other fear that like, maybe I'm going to get hurt. And so sometimes what's going on is not the fear of man necessarily, but it's the love of self. And we have to be willing to lay down our own lives for the sake of the gospel. And he just, you know, he's, he's recognizing in this episode, he's talking about that that's a very hard thing to lay down. <laughs> it's very hard to go from, well, maybe these people won't like me to, I might lose a friendship to uh, my friends might actually hurt me. And I think you have to recognize what it is that's going on, what's kind of holding back and, and that's okay. Like that fear is natural, but it, it takes really just a surrender to Christ and it, and it takes a he trusts that, you know, where Jesus said, everyone who gives up friendship, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, everyone who gives up friendships and family members and wealth and status, they will receive a hundredfold as much in the kingdom. I think that's a great way to look at it. And, and I, I have a few thoughts just looking through uh, Braille's uh, message here. This is a series of tweets, by the way, that was sent to us at Lorehaven after we posted that episode uh, with Bethel McGrew. By the way, I'm pronouncing your name correctly now, I oh, think. Oh, gosh, it's, I did it again. I know, right? <laughs> uh, well, at least it's not Esther. Uh, that's her That's her former name. That's her superhero <laughs> name. But it's Bethel, like Jor-El or Kal-El. You know. Just think Kryptonian, <laughs> which is kind of vaguely Hebrewish, and you'll get it right. Uh, anyway, Brielle, who may have a similar pronunciation, uh, who knows? Uh, she mentioned that there's not so much a complete antipathy towards Christianity among people I interact with as there's hurt at the fact that the church says what they're doing is wrong. And that, I really think, is the key to understanding that we are living in a negative world. Uh, some of the evangelical leaders, bless their hearts, uh, whom we talked about in that episode, uh, seem to think that the main or only reason uh, that people might criticize Christianity or the gospel or the church is because the church done them wrong. 
That's what I call the church back home syndrome. Uh, people are kind of maybe projecting their own experiences, uh, especially if you're in professional ministry. That raises the chances that you tangled uh, with the deacons uh, or the board of regents or whatever at some point uh, in your institution. And so it may be tempting, I think, that's my theory, uh, to project that experience on everyone else to try to understand them. Uh, it's a side effect of empathy. But the fact is, we are living in a negative world, and I think we need to be realistic about the fact that more people nowadays, even though they may have ne negative experiences with Christianity, fewer of them do have experience with Christianity beyond the lies and the rumors and the slanders that they get over mainstream media or from their friends or whatever. Like some of this is just inherited memes about the church, and they've never actually yeah. been exposed to the gospel in their life, but they're going to hate it when they are. I would rather face what we're actually up against so that I'm prepared. Uh, I'm not taken by surprise like a sheltered Christian kid uh, who is suddenly out in the world and realizes that things are a lot more complicated than I was led to believe. I would rather confront the fact that some people actually do hate Jesus as he said they would so that I am better prepared, what, to wage a culture war against them, uh, to, to pour on the insults or worse? No, I want to be prepared to actually love the enemy that's in front of me and not an imaginary nerfed version of the enemy. <laughs> that may be out there, but that increasingly uh, becomes a minority. Uh, there's lots more people, especially in positions of power, who actually hate Jesus and hate my faith and hate what I represent. And I want to be ready to love them, not enable them. Uh, the second thought here uh, is when she is, uh, uh, when we're talking about us and people, and, and Zach, you, you hit on what I would call the horizontal axis of this, you know, more the Great Commission uh, approach as we're looking at what's our responsibility in the world, how do we love our neighbors and all that. Um, I hope that on Fantastical Truth and at Lorehaven as a whole, that we are always mindful of the Great Commission. At the same time, I hope that we're not focused on that exclusively, because if we're only talking about how to share the gospel with other people, then we miss the vertical axis of that, the us and God approach that is foremost in Scripture. Uh, if God is redeeming us, then our prime responsibility is not just to share him with the world, although that is certainly included, but our prime directive is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So, you know, chances are we may go a whole episode without talking about sharing the gospel with your friends, or at times we may even risk sounding like we're minimizing the importance of that. Uh, God forbid, it is super important. It is our job, according to the Great Commission, but is a job that fits within God's earlier command, the cultural mandate. Uh, to create good things in the world, to make good things using his creation. Um, that's our main purpose, I think, when we're talking about Christian fantasy or Christian fiction, uh, is it's not just to share Jesus with your neighbors, but it's to glorify Jesus as an act of worship. Uh, we, the church, glorify him first, vertical direction, as we're also sharing his gospel with our friends and neighbors around us, which is the horizontal direction. And maybe I'm stealing this from somewhere, but I think of it like the picture of a cross. It has to go up and down and it goes side to side. You know, the, the thing that came to mind, Stephen, was the story of the woman caught in adultery and she's brought before Jesus and all, all these men are ready to stone her. And he rescues her by saying, you know, whoever among you is without sin, cast the first stone. And a lot of people stop there and they say, see, we're not supposed to stone people that commit adultery. We're just supposed to love them. But it keeps going, and Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin. I just think that whole scene there is such a great encapsulation of the gospel, 
that it's you're, you're freed from condemnation so that you can live a life free of sin. Now, the problem is, I'm guessing here that Brielle's friends don't think that the lives they're living are sinful. And, and that's, you know, that's kind of the first hurdle to overcome is that, okay, I'm a sinner because I'm born with sin and what I do <laughs> tends to be sinful. And, you know, sometimes you just have to stop and define the term. So maybe that's what I'd suggest here, Brielle. But I also think that in that situation where that woman was rescued from adultery, she lived in a culture that frowned on adultery. We live in a culture that celebrates adultery. And so that, that is a, a great representation of how the world is so different now, that it is a negative world where the world celebrates sin and the, and, and the world congratulates people that do things that would have gotten that woman stoned back then. And so take that scenario today. Would that woman have felt the same level of relief that Jesus said, I don't condemn you? She probably wouldn't. She'd probably say, well, why would you condemn me in the first place? Like no one condemns me. So what, you know, what, what's the, I don't even understand why you would condemn me. Who are you to condemn me? And so I think we have to first establish that there is a God that we're all accountable to. Like I'm not more righteous than anyone else. You know, I'm no better than anyone else. You know, one of my I guess you could call it one of my life verses, but it's just really one of my core verses of my life is where Peter says, Lord, to whom else should we go? You have the words of eternal life. And that's always kind of been my theme of just like, there's a lot of things I don't know about and I don't know how to make sense of, but I know what life was like for Christ. And I don't want to go back to that life. And whatever suffering happens, whatever relationships I lose, look, I've got Christ. And that's better by far. And what this negative world is doing is it's testing our belief in the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. Amen to that. And by the way, side note for all you theology nerds out there, yes, we are aware of that some of the earliest manuscripts do not include John <laughs> chapter 7. Verse yes, I can hear that disclaimer in my head. <laughs> yes, exactly. I believe I'll mangle the Greek here, but it's called the Pericope Adulterae. And yes, yes, it's arguable whether that was part of the original manuscript. Uh, nothing in there I think is unbiblical. Yeah, you get both yeah. sides there. Jesus standing up for this victim uh, against the religious leaders uh, who were judging hypocritically, even if they were judging appropriately by the law of the day, Uh, Then he's also telling her, hey, I'm going to forgive you. Now go and sin no more. And I think certain groups of Christians, particularly if they are basing everything that they do on whether or not this will really get back at those Pharisees I know, uh, they will emphasize one side of that text or the other, Uh, the Jesus forgiving her or the Jesus telling her to go and sin. Uh, The text, whether or not it's part of the original manuscript, includes both grace and truth, law and forgiveness. And we have got to follow Christ's example there, irrespective, really, of what the Pharisees were saying. Uh, We follow Jesus and worship him proactively. We are not commanded to really get those Pharisees we know. Or, by the way, we're going to become the next round of Pharisees. Because how do you think those Pharisees got there? They were trying to correct the problems of some other faction. If we're just spending all our time trying to correct the problems of factions, Uh, then I think we're going to be locked in a vicious cycle. Uh, And I think we're going to not only miss out on worshiping Jesus, but we're going to miss out on legitimate evangelism opportunities. Uh, That's the risk, I think, of talking about the negative world is it could sound really negative. You know, our, our point in that episode is to acknowledge the realism of the world and remain optimistic. 
uh, not uh, saccharine or sentimentalistic about it. Uh, that's one of the best purposes of fantasy, not to help us escape the real world, but to reflect the real world back to us in different and unique ways so that we're better equipped to go back to the real world and fulfill our purpose to worship Jesus and share his gospel. Yeah, and I would just say there that, you know, Brielle, you've got the right instinct about that. Sometimes it's just best to share a story with someone. But you know what you can even do then is say, you know, why did that aspect of the story resonate with us so much when we don't see that virtue or whatever in the world? And I, I would make the argument that sometimes we are living in a fake world. <laughs> we, we are living in a world that calls up, down, and down, up, and good, bad, and bad, good. And sometimes a story of a fantastical world gives you clarity about what is true and what is real because so much of what we're being fed, like you said, Stephen, through through mainstream media, through social media, through all kinds of influences, it's totally fake. And so we, ha- we have to sometimes find truth in strange places in, in uh, totally illusionary worlds. And you'd have to know that the story is fake. And, and even then, by the way, Zach, <laughs> like you see people who will watch Star Wars and then they'll go away. And for the lulls or the clicks, they will write a think piece about how maybe the Empire uh, was uh, misunderstood and correct all along. Uh, I saw one, <laughs> somebody repeating, like it was a think piece about how, you know, well, Sauron is just, uh, you know, all of his orcs are serving him just because, you know, they're, they're rebelling for a good cause. And like, I, you, I think you, I think that's just a troll, you know, <laughs> the biggest trolls in Middle Earth are the folks who walk away from Tolkien's masterpiece and come up with stuff like that. So Holy Spirit still needs to be active, uh, even if it's a really great story. Uh, Zach, we got to do an evangelism episode or a series about evangelism with stories, uh, you know, the pros and the cons, the flaws and the victories uh, at some point. Maybe next year we can really get into that. Any ideas for that episode or any of our other ones? Email us, podcast at lorehaven.com or do what Rael did and uh, tweet to us at Lorehaven. You can also search for Lorehaven on Instagram and Facebook. Engage with us that way or use the comment form on the website page for this episode. By the way, we are putting together some fantastic guests and themes for our episodes moving into next year as we move forward toward our 100th episode of Fantastical Truth, which I think is going to fall in February. If you have any ideas about those, reach out to us as well. And be aware, we are also planning the next iteration of Lorehaven, just building on the resources and the uh, great creative voices that we've been blessed to collect do stay in touch with us. Oh, subscribe at lorehaven.com as well. Lorehaven.com slash subscribe and you'll get all those details, new articles every week, as well as the Tuesday podcast episodes, except when it's Thanksgiving and Christmas uh, and all of our reviews coming out every Friday. Next on Fantastical Truth, well, dare we mention the next topic? We did that before and then holidays ensued. Yeah, it's probably going to be the Harry Potter episode, uh, maybe even have a special guest. But if it's not, we're going to have amazing guests coming up even before Christmas. We've got it all planned out, God willing, <laughs> before December the 25th. Uh, either way, I hope that everyone had a happy Thanksgiving and is prepared in a real world, even a negative world, to celebrate the incarnation of Jesus and all of the sacred and secular joys that are surrounding the season as we continue to seek and find his fantastical truth. <laughs>